0: I am Pastor Zach. I just look different. (laughs) Changed my hair this week. I am Pastor Zach. Rainy. I'm the old one. I am so old. Did you see the girl over here that was singing Susie? Her great-grandmother knew me. All right. (laughs) I'm not joking. I don't think I ever told her this, but... um, I had resigned a position, I was looking for a place to minister, we had two kids, a brand new baby, and Lizzie and I were praying about, it's a big decision, all right? Her great-grandmother woke up and God told her to write a check to Pastor Zach and his wife for $500, and she carried us over uh, by doing that, listening to the Lord. And she wrote the check to Pastor Zach and his wife, it was actually what she wrote, so doing that uh life's full of decisions uh i gotta quit saying uh i'm not gonna quit stumbling over that what i want you to do by the end of this message is to stop including god in your decisions make god the source out of which you make decisions don't ask god to bless your plan find out what god's plan is and make your decisions according to that. That's the goal of this message. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. Some people just kind of skip over it because we've had the really good part of Acts chapter 1 where Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit and they would be witnesses. And so the promise came and then Jesus ascends to heaven. And then we kind of like to jump over to chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes down. And we miss this passage. So we're going to read Acts chapter 1. Starting with verse 12. And I, I do have to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. It gets pretty gory and gruesome. If you have not read this passage. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem a sabbath day journey away it's about the distance from here uh, over to what's the name of that church down there what is it no the li- the one just down the street white horse, white horse. i said at first service you can tell this is not going to go well so far i i don't know which which way It's this way? (laughs) All right. As I said, my name is Pastor Mark Whitehead. (laughs) I'm Zach Rainey. I I serve here as a staff pastor, the family life pastor at Connection Point Church. I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome. Welcome. All right, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. It's about like the distance from here to Whitehorse. You can edit that, right? Thank you. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. That's a church here in town too, isn't it? Upper room. Where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. 11 there. All these with one accord. They had one mission. They had one thing to do. With one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. There's the one thing. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Women are important to the kingdom of God. All the men say amen. And men are important to the kingdom of God, aren't they? And so are boys and girls. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons wasn't all about 120. You know, they're supposed to be praying. And then Peter, his mind wanders, he says, I wonder how many people are actually here. he You guys do that? Mark, do you do that when you're praying? You think, I'll just see how many kids are here tonight. You should be praying. You should be deep in intercession. But no, you want to know how many kids. Just, but it's scriptural. Peter or Luke, whoever counted them here. And Peter said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And really, this is, these are the two main things in this huge decision they've got to make. Is that they were of one accord. They were one thing they were doing was praying And Peter was full of scripture. He had studied and read and studied and read scripture, memorized it. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Page two. Now this man, meaning Judas the betrayer, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Remember the 30 pieces of silver. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. Were all the little children out of the room? No, oh, no, we got Gabby and Sophia. Um, Okay, I won't go into any details. It's a thing that happened in the Bible. uh, we'll finish this slide. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akedema, which is field of blood. You know, some people say, well, I thought I read that he hung himself. Well, both are true. It isn't like, well, did he hang himself or did he, you know, that thing that I just read. And, uh, but they're both true because I think he used he gave back all the money. He should have kept one to buy a rope. And he, did, he had to use a used cheap rope and it broke. And he fell and burst in the middle. And you know that thing that it said. Okay. The gruesome, horrible thing. For it is written in the book of Psalms. When I was a kid, I used to think, I can't understand why when they quote the Old Testament, it's not word for word. I thought, is the Bible full of mistakes or something? No. It's just like when I preach. Sometimes I'm quoting a scripture. Sometimes I'm just making a citation. And sometimes it's just a general illusion. You don't know until you look at it. It's written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they've laid out the qualifications. This is their constitution and bylaws of who who are the, what are the qualifications for a nominee? They've got it right there. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. Now to me that sounds like three or four, but that's just the first one. Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Notice it doesn't say he went to hell. Just go to his own place. Isn't that very polite of Luke to write it like that? I like the way Luke writes. And they cast lots for them. Put the letters B A L between those two. What happens if, uh, what is, Zach, what happens if you put B A L in between cast lots? What's it say then? Cast ballots. Isn't that cool? I made that up. I never read it in a book anywhere. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they became 12. They were called the dodeca, the 12. So they're there once again. He feels, Peter feels like we have filled up the number that was necessary. Matthias's name is mentioned here twice and never again. Because we. Maybe you don't, but I do. I always have this mental picture of this is them praying, you know. It's a very solemn time in the upper room. They're praying day after day after day, hour after hour after hour. Everyday business has come to a halt. I don't even picture them stopping for a sandwich and a Coke. Not at all, you know. They... Uh, There they were in this really reverent stillness of prayer. And Peter, you know, up on this rock, Peter, he feels the sacredness of all the prayers in the room. He feels the leading from the inspired word of God, he says. And he's still glowing from the experience of watching Christ ascend up into the clouds and the angel come and tell him that he's going to come again. And he's still expecting, he's hopeful of this power. His heart's pounding for this promise of the power of the Holy Spirit that will come. And Peter decides at that moment they need to have an election. Of course. Isn't that what you would arrive at? But it is what he arrived at. Because Judas had done that thing that we're not going to mention again. So Peter has this decision. He really feels an urgency. We have to find somebody to be the next apostle. Apostle just means a sent one. Missionaries are apostles. You can quote me on that one. Apostles mean sent by God and they go. I knew people that had been sent by God and they never went. But they needed someone that was going to go. How come we never heard of Matthias again? I'll tell you. Uh, but first, let's talk about difficult decisions followers of Christ will make will need to make difficult decisions and of course decisions have consequences because that's how you act according to your decisions so the strength of your action the effectiveness of how you act is going to be based upon the strength of your decision your conviction so you If we go back to the scripture and we look at these 11 or 12 names and you think about their decision to follow Christ, did you ever feel that God has left you? Think how they felt. There was Jesus and he left them. And they made a decision not based upon their emotional feeling. They decided they were going to follow Christ and there were going to be consequences to that. And the consequences got pretty severe for some of them. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says that a profession of faith in Christ was punishable by death from A.D. 68 through 96. So when we look at this list, think about the consequences of their decisions from as being every day, all day, nonstop followers of Jesus the rest of their lives, and their lives are all cut short but one, and i got to give credit to Fox's Book of Martyrs for uh, helping us with this. And think of the strength of their conviction. Simon Peter, also known as Kephas, it's a translation for Peter, he was, of course, went off to Rome, and they crucified him there, AD 64. Then John, who was the author of five of the books of the New Testament, they tried, you know, he, he's the only one that lived it out. He lived to 100 years, basically, old. But they tried to. You know, he was the French fried apostle. They boiled him in oil and it didn't kill him. And he wouldn't stop preaching, so they put him on the Isle of Patmos to shut him up and he got the book of Revelation from there. He's the only one that lived it out. And then Jacob, or we call him James, was the brother of John. He was executed by Herod Agrippa I by a sword. Andrew, who was the brother of Simon Peter, He died in Achaia, which is now modern-day Greece. He was tied to a cross and died a slow death of starvation. They tied him there just until he died with no food. Philip, he was the the first person to be called a disciple. While making disciples in Phrygia, which is now Turkey, he was scourged, imprisoned, and crucified in A.D. 54. Thomas, also called Didymus, Preached the gospel in Parthia and India, where exciting the rage of the pagan priests, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. He died December 21st, 72, Mylapore, India. Nathanael, also called Bartholomew, he preached in several countries. Having translated the Gospel of Matthew into the language of India, he propagated it in that country. He was at length cruelly beaten and then crucified by the impatient idolaters in AD 68. Matthew also called Levi the author of the Gospel of Matthew. The scene of his labors was Parthia and Ethiopia, in which latter country he suffered martyrdom, being slain with the halberd in the city of Nadaba, AD 60. The other Jacob, also known as James, the son of Alphaeus, was the possibly the brother of Matthew, possibly the author of the book of James, at age 94 he was beat and stoned by jews and had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club so it wasn't just judas who had gory stuff going on simon the zealot preached the gospel in mauritania africa and even in britain andrew simon the zealot in which latter country he was crucified 80 74 Judas, the son of Jacob or James, making disciples throughout Mesopotamia and Persia, which would be modern Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Iran, and Armenia. In fact, Armenia, he's like their their favorite saint, Uh, Judas, the son of uh, Jacob or James. He was tied to a cross and shot to death with arrows for making disciples. And then the guy that we add to this list, Messiah, the only time you ever hear him is, is that those two verses, that twice because he never got to leave Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they stoned him and then they beheaded him. And that's why you never hear of Messias. His decision had consequences and they had to have conviction of decision to do that. And we need to make every decision an act of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means that He rules over all. Does Jesus rule your life? Or is Jesus something really cool that you like to add on? Like an accessory to your car? I got a company car last week. Woohoo uh, for the hospice that I work for. So exciting. And uh, I said, oh, please tell me it's got like the Bluetooth thing for my phone. How many of you like the Bluetooth accessory? Isn't that great? How many of us treat Jesus as if, oh, that'd be a great thing to have in my life? In a worldview. And you have one, but you need to change it to a biblical worldview. You need to have your worldview come from Christ, not add Christ to your worldview. Your actions or your behavior come from your decisions, your worldview, which is your personal philosophy of how you perceive the world, your philosophy of life. That's your worldview. That shapes your decisions. For example, if I hold a worldview that includes the fundamental assumption that the universe is only material, then that would affect my decision of how I'm going to vote on any legislation about sanctity of life you see that? You understand that? So my worldview influences my decisions, influences my behavior. So what you need to do is make Jesus king of your worldview, king of your world. Make Jesus king. Reliance upon just your human intellect and your natural ability will never have the same outcome as decisions that are made through reliance upon God because do you wanna see what you can do in life or do you wanna see what God can do in life? That's the difference. Surrender your life to Jesus, let him be king. Stop trying to include God into your decision. It's not sufficient. Stop trying to make God an important part of your story. In uh, Kids Cove, we sing a song. Uh, Who works in Kids Cove? We sing the big God story. It's not your story, it's God's story. You don't have a big story, and you're gonna make God a chapter in your book. God's got a story, find out what your place is in God's story, find out what your gifts are, find out what your personal ministry is. You can be part of God's big story. This, we wanna shift this whole thing upside down on you so that Jesus is king of your whole world. God's not like grabbing a bucket of water and you bring it into your boat. God is like this ocean that your little tiny boat floats out there on. So Peter and these friends of Jesus held the view that Jesus was king. So when Jesus, who left them, said, wait in Jerusalem, they said, well, let's develop a five-year plan about getting to Jerusalem. No, they stopped everything they were doing. And they obeyed Jesus because that was their worldview. It affected their decision, and it became an action of them. And they immediately obeyed, began praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Difficult decisions require engagement in prayer. So it's a good thing that they were praying. But prayer is not something that you do for God. If we ask little children, name something you can do for God. Now, praying for others could be technically, yes, you're doing that for God, okay? But... Little kids, you, you say, what? Name something you can do for God. Top two answers read my Bible and pray. That isn't the function of Bible reading and prayer. Prayer is something, that, an activity that God provided for us. Prayer, prayer brings us close to God. The New Testament points out that prayer is like an incense. You saw the picture of the tabernacle, and there seems to be a mistake in the Bible. It's not a mistake. This seems to be a mistake. It says that the altar of incense, which was outside the veil of the Holy of Holies, you have this curtain, you have the Holy of Holies, curtain, then you have the altar of incense outside. The book of Hebrews must have a mistake. It says that the altar of incense was inside the veil inside the holy of holies that it was in there with the ark of the covenant that can't be the case the author of hebrews must have made a mistake because you and i both know the priests had to come in there and put the incense on the coals they had to bring the coals in so it, there's no way it could be inside have, have you guys ever stood inside of a curtain where somebody on the other side might be burning incense guess what happens on your side of the curtain the fragrance of that incense permeates that area. When we pray, it's like incense. It permeates right into heaven, into the holy place, and we are in heavenly places, Ephesians says. When we pray, prayer brings you close to God. Why would you not pray? Prayer is not just merely asking God to bless the food. Now I lay me down to sleep. Prayer is communication with God on an intimate level. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer creates spiritual life. It is vital to life. When you do not talk to God, you're not hurting him. When I go to my mom's house and I... I say, oh, no, Mom, you don't need to feed me. I I might hurt her feelings, you know, by not when... But, you know, I'm the one suffering because she's got some great chicken and noodles, you know. When you refuse prayer, just get too busy for it, don't have time for it. Whatever, Whatever reason that you think you have, the children can tell you what happens when you neglect your Bible and forget to pray. Can't Can't they? Everybody stand up. Stand up. Put your your hands up like this. And sing it with me. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray. Forget to pray, forget to pray. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray. and And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. All right, we won't sing the second verse. You can get up and sit down. When you don't pray, you're cutting yourself short, not God. Prayer is not something we perform as a religious duty to God. God wants you to pray because it transforms you as you pray. I have a tendency to have look at prayer in two categories. I've looked at the prayers of the Old Testament, the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of the New Testament, and I look at my own prayers, and I just see there's two kinds of prayers, there's outside prayer and inside prayer. Outside prayer are the times when I'm praying God. You gotta deal with mail. Go over and fix mail, you know. Or or I may be praying, God heal this person over there. So I'm I'm basically kind of sending God to do his will. And the other type of prayer is I'm asking God to supernaturally work through me. I had a friend that came to me and he says, I've been praying and praying and praying for her to change and for my kids to change, and I've been praying for that for uh, this situation not to happen anymore. And I said, well, have you ever prayed about your response? About your attitude towards the kids and about how you respond to situations in life? And he just stopped because he had not done an inside type of praying. God, I want you to answer this prayer, but work it through me. I'll be the one to go. I get to go. As a hospice chaplain, I get to go places. And I get to pray for people I would never, ever have the opportunity to do. prayed with an atheist this week. She didn't accept Christ yet, but she prayed. And a couple weeks ago, I was visiting somebody in uh, an assisted living in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And I had seen on Facebook. How many of you love Facebook? And it's a great place to get prayer requests. If you're my Facebook friend, I don't know, Um, saw on Facebook that a guy I knew in high school, I went to school with him when I was a little kid, that he was in a nursing home in Ben-Hur in Crawfordsville, and I haven't seen him since I graduated from high school. In 1977, the year Zach Maddox was born, I'm that old, so I haven't seen, uh, I'm going to tell you his name, all right? he's not one of my hospice patients, JC, okay? I hadn't seen JC since 1977, and I thought he's in bad shape. They've told me what bad shape he's in. Over the years, he has had a rough life because of decisions he has made. His body's not whole. He's on a a trach. And so I went into Ben-Hur, knocked on the door, Sometimes you feel like God wants you to do something, and sometimes you realize that God got there long before you. You didn't have much to do with it. I knocked on the door and opened the door like I would for a hospice patient nurse. I said, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Van Vacter, could I visit? He said, Well, you know, like who are you? I said, I'm Zach Rainey. He goes, Man, I was thinking about you. What? So we visited, and he told me stories. And I said, you know, I pray for people before I leave. He said, all right. We prayed together. So I got to pray with him. I don't know what will become of that. Uh, around the same day, they sent me to Rensselaer. They said, this is a rough, rough situation. This one, I can't give you any, any other details. And uh, this person was saying, I'm so angry at my family. And I said, well, I can see you're the kind of person that wants to be able to forgive them. I make presumptions sometimes. (laughs) So we can pray about that. And she said, I just felt like God. No, I said it was a she. I wasn't gonna tell you the gender. All right, you already know. I just feel like God wanted me to get back to church. And and she will never, I doubt she'll ever get back to church before she dies. She went on for a while, she said, I just feel so lost. And lost is a trigger word for me, you know, lost, saved. So I said, well, we need to pray together and you can commit your life to Christ. And she did. She prayed with me, committed her life to Christ on what is probably her deathbed, I'm thinking. Just walk in and God's doing things in people's life. But every place I go, I wanna pray with people. That's not because it's my job. You guys can do this. Everywhere you go, if you know someone that's making a decision, don't walk away. One of the children's workers, if I tell her, here's what went on, here's what I'm doing, she'll she'll always stop and say, okay, now let's pray about it. And And she does. I said, let's all be like that. Can you guys do that this week? When someone has a decision that they're making, can you stop and say, all right, and now let's pray about the decision? Because decisions got to be formed by our, our lordship to Jesus Christ so that our actions will be correct. Simple is better than complicated in praying. Realize that this first ministry team had no building and only one program. And that program was praying. It says they were persevered devotedly in praying. Praying And praying, it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. Keep it simple. Uh, You don't have to have beads and incense or incantations or trances or visualization or some mystic experience, uh, a ritual that you need to do. Just pray. Just talk to God. Simplicity wins over complexity. Prayer is talking to God because your life decisions are far too important not to pray. Pray without ceasing. Difficult decisions also require a fluency in scripture. By fluency, I mean that you are so practiced that you're at ease with the scriptures. And again, Bible reading is not something that you do for God. Didn't he just say that about prayer? Yeah, I think he did. Prayer isn't some duty you do for God. Prayer draws you close to him. Bible reading is like food, okay? It's for your spiritual growth. The Bible says there's milk for babies like me. If you've ever worked with me, you know I'm immature. And there's meat for you mature people. So don't starve yourself to death when there's an abundance of nutrition in God's word spiritually. Bible engagement affects social behavior. I want to tell you what Bible engagement is by showing you five profiles from uh, Barna, George Barna, the, and at, from Barna.com. Starting with the, the red one, 48% of Americans are Bible-disengaged. Disengaged means that that person infrequently interacts with the Bible or none at all, and it has almost no impact on their lives. Then 9% of Americans are Bible neutral, sporadically interact with the Bible. They might see it on their teacher's chalkboard. How do you like that, Phil? Uh, It has very little spiritual influence, but maybe it could grow on them. 90% of people are Bible friendly. They interact with the Bible consistently. It may be a source of spiritual insight and wisdom, and also 19% of the bible of the people are bible engaged they interact with the bible frequently it is transforming their relationship with god and others and then 5% are bible centered they interact with the bible frequently and it is transforming their relationships and shaping their choices that 5% though sadly the next slide will show you is that 5% in 2018, was 9%. It's gone down. The number of people that are Bible-centered has gone down. Now, those that are disengaged has also gone down. Those that are neutral has gone up. Those that are friendly have gone up. Those that are engaged have gone up. But sadly, Bible-centered people, people that feel that Scripture is transforming their relationship and shaping their choices, is less, it's only 5% of Americans. Uh, Bible engagement affects our social behavior. Here's a quote from Bible Engagement and Social Behavior from Back to the Bible. We have discovered that familiarity and contact with the Bible provides a level of protection against temptation and is correlated with less involvement in risky behaviors such as pornography and destructive thoughts. That's affirmed by another quote I got from Back to the Bible on uh, their research page. Someone who engages the Bible four or more times a week is 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness, 59% less likely to view pornography, 228% more likely to share faith with others, And 407% more likely to memorize scripture. That is an amazing result in behavior because it's transforming this person's worldview so that their decisions change their behavior. This is a rather long quote. Let's see, I have to be done at that time. And we're past it, so. If you want the long quote, ask me later. So let's wrap it up like this. The long quote says that they did a study and it it isn't just a a supporting thing. It is actually the engagement with Scripture that changes the behaviors of people. So what I'm going to ask you to do is not to wait until you're on the verge of a big decision and say, oh man, I I better spend some time in prayer. I better grab my Bible. I better Google a verse because you're definitely going to find a verse that fits what your idea is Peter was praying day after day after day. Peter was engaged in prayer. And the scripture that Peter was dwelling on in his mind were scriptures that his whole life, he had been learning. He had been reading. He had been memorizing. So, how many of you can read? Read God's word. How many of you can write? Journal God's Word. I write scriptures down in my journal. Don't you have a Bible? Yeah, but writing them out, it's huge. It does a lot of stuff. How many of you have a smartphone? If you can smartphone, smartphone the Bible. If you can hear, listen to God's word. You know, not not everybody has an adequate reading level to read the Bible. You can read it to a child. Or a person with, that might not have the understanding of what it is, you can help them. You read it and they listen, and it's effective. If you can sing, sing God's word. So write these down real quick. Jumpstart three songs, scriptures you can dance to, and uh, Seeds Family Worship. If you if you have uh, like Amazon Music, which I do, uh, you can say. Alexa, play Seeds Family Worship and shuffling songs by Seeds Family. And it's all scripture songs. Just fill your house with scripture all day long. It's amazing stuff. And in doing so, God's word will shape your worldview. You will make decisions that please God. You will act in ways that please God because Jesus is honored when his followers make life choices that are spiritually forged by active prayer and understanding of Scripture. The Holy Spirit works through people that pray. The Holy Spirit works through people who that know the Word of God. A church on the move will face difficult decisions. A church on the move must be engaged in prayer and engaged in Scripture. If you have some life decisions to make this week or this month, stand up. We're going to pray for you. If you have some life decisions, you're saying, well, I was hoping he'd say something about decisions I gotta make. Okay, anybody else? We're not gonna ask you to say them, don't worry. Life decisions. We're gonna pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, direct us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, surround these people with life decisions. Surround them, oh God, with people of prayer. Let them be people of prayer so they draw close to God so that their decisions are not based upon the inclusion of God but upon the kingship of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that the word of God will speak to their hearts so they will make decisions that favor King Jesus and the kingdom of God. Bless them. Lord, some of them will be making decisions that are hard to make It might not have fun, pleasant results, but God, they will make those decisions because they're following Jesus and they have a conviction to do so. Bless us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.